Welcome back to Tachikawa. You're listening to Sakamichi Nights. Nice, 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 With me, Matthew Boynton, and him, Daniel Bellamy. That's me. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Happy How, to be here. How's your week been going this week? Uh, it's been great. It's been delightful. We are back to regular operating hours, which I, they're not really regular because... I think we've done them for a grand total of about three weeks in our entire existence. It's true, yeah. The uh, the the restrictions have been lifted, and we mm. can be open basically whenever we choose to be mm. uh, at the moment. Um, I think I did look back through the whole time, the whole eighteen months we've been open so far, and for at least half of that time, we've been not open. We've yeah. been closed mm. essentially, uh, and for the vast majority of the rest of it, we've had some kind of restrictions about how long we could be open for. So. It's been a bit of an adjustment to be sort of open until 9 or, or 10 at the weekend, isn't it? Certainly. It feels very late, uh, but, you know, we'll get used to it. I think that you mentioned today that someone came in. The The last order at 7 was extremely restrictive. Yes. And tough for people to get here if they if they live in Tachikawa, but they work somewhere else and they finish work at whatever they, time they finish, take a train. It can be quite difficult to arrive at a place before 7, so that really cut a lot of people out of having a beer or two on their way home after work. You said you had a guy come in that seemed quite happy that we had extended hours. That's right, yeah. He uh, he mentioned that he actually finished work at 8. So until last weekend, mm. we had to call last orders at 8. Yeah. Um, so he was never able to come in here and enjoy a beer. But this was his first time to come in. He was very excited to mm. come in here and try a few beers. He's yeah. known about us for ages. He's been to the other Sakamichi taproom. The one owned by Crank, mm, Crank Brewery, yeah. the Cranks. Uh, so he was he was pleased to tick off the other Sakamichi taproom. Got to get them all. Uh, this week, um, we had some old clothes that my kids had grown out of that mm. we had no use for anymore, and so we donated them to the nursery mm-hmm. where my kids go, uh, and they uh, they sort of shared them all out. They need to keep like a stock. Mm. of some clothes but yep. one t-shirt was kept back and put on a large teddy bear in my son's classroom he was very fond of this like he's very entertained that there's now a teddy bear in his classroom mm. that is wearing his clothes That's essentially cool. uh, and they they go everywhere together uh, and apparently the other day after they'd come back inside from playing outside the teacher was doing a head count she counted all the kids she counted them again she counted them again there was one extra kid and she couldn't work out who it was until she went back and carefully counted. And one of the kids was actually the teddy bear who was completely dressed in clothes and was standing amongst the other kids. Right. So it's almost a kind of great escape kind of thing. If one of them had wanted to make a break for freedom, yeah. they could just get the uh, the teddy bear to stand in the line. An escape from Alcatraz movie, Instead of right? Them. He yeah. makes a paper mache head. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's like as as a teacher of children, which is a job that I have done in the past, uh, you know, especially when you take your kids out, if you have recess or something, you take them to the park or wherever, the the thought of losing a child somehow is terrifying. But I never thought about gaining a child. Right. Also terrifying, I think. We went to the park with 18 kids. We've come back with 19. <laughs> 19. How has this happened? And what do I do with this extra child? I guess that's just a bonus, right? So that's how my week's been going. How about you? I, you actually reminded me of something. This happened a while ago, but I, I used to work at uh, a company and we had one of our schools was in Shirokanedai, which is uh, a pretty wealthy area. 
And at some point, one of the, not our school, but a school in the area, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but they were having a clothing drive and uh, they wanted, they were collecting donations of clothes. So we uh, got together all of the the teachers and the staff and, and we enlisted the help of our students. We gathered up um, you know, a lot of really nice clothes and, and washed everything and folded it, everything and folded it, everything, sorry, folded everything. Yeah, that's easy for you to say. And, uh, and then we went to wherever they're doing the clothes pickup. So again, Shirokanedai, pretty wealthy area. And we brought all of these bags of clothes that we had collected and gave them to them. And they opened them up in front of us, looked through them, and then told us they didn't want them. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently they uh, they weren't nice enough for. So like, who are they collecting them for? These are last season's colors. I can't possibly yeah, take these. Yeah, that was kind of the sense that we got. So anyway, we had a whole bunch of bags of clothes, and we then went looking for another place dressed with up a whole bunch lower, of teddy bears with lower standards. Yeah, dressed up a bunch of teddy bears and deployed them uh, into classrooms around the country. Yeah, we had to go and find um, another place to take these clothes. One. One place you could have taken those was one of the scarecrow festivals that we have visited whilst on our bike tours. That's right? true. We often come across, especially in very rural places where the population is declining, the people who still live there want the town to still feel kind of lively. Mm. So they will make and dress scarecrows, essentially, although they're a bit more fancy than, a, than just a bag on a stick. Yeah. Uh, and then put them in poses around the town. Like you'll you'll come up to the bus stop, and it looks like there's a big queue of people all waiting for the bus. Yeah. But they're actually all yeah. kind of polystyrene scarecrows mm. dressed in old clothes. And I remember one particularly large festival that we came across one time that was just all scarecrows. It was hundreds, quite literally hundreds of scarecrows, all having a summer festival. There were about ten live humans there. Yep. Also doing festival things. Like we had some. What, fried sweet potatoes, yep. and there were some foods, and I don't know, some little booths doing whatever. But it was at least a 10 to 1 ratio of scarecrows to actual humans. Maybe more. I yeah. think there were probably 500 scarecrows doing, having races and doing all kinds of like summer festival events. The creepiest scarecrows I saw were the ones that were making other scarecrows. They were posed <laughs> as if they were carving other scarecrows. And uh, we were wandering around this field full of scarecrows sort of posed to be carrying a mikoshi or having a race, mm. as you say, or doing other summer festival things. And I could sort of half out the corner of my eye see one of the scarecrows slowly turning its head to follow me as I was yeah. walking. Or maybe just the eyes are moving. Yeah. Uh, we were once like you. Don't eat the fried sweet potatoes. Yes. <laughs> We ate the fried sweet potatoes, but then we got the hell out of there. Yes, it was extremely creepy. It was creepy. Speaking of extremely creepy scarecrow festivals, yeah. it is that time of year. It's Halloween. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that's the good kind of creepy scarecrow festival. the good festival. kind of creepy scarecrow festival. Do we have any kind of creepy festivals planned for Halloween? You know, on Saturday, we are going to do our official kind of uh, Halloween uh, shindig here in the bar. Yeah. It's not going to be too crazy, but... Uh, All day Halloween party. You and I will be in costume. That's right. At least I will be in costume. I don't know if you're setting me up for some kind of, like, Carrie-esque prank. I'm going to come dressed as Daniel Bellamy. Oh, okay. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Uh, I'll be dressed as Daniel Bellamy, but in costume. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be in costume, uh, partying pretty hard. 
We're going to have a banging Halloween soundtrack. Yep. And uh, we're going to have some pumpkin beers available, some some popular repeats from last year. And some uh, some Halloween candy yeah, as well. Yeah, of course. I understand that's the real, the real meaning of Halloween for Americans. It's just to eat so many sweets that you throw up. That's it. I mean, thus far, we've not figured out a way to tie uh, Jesus and Christianity into it. So we, we have to just kind of hang it on the sweets, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about... For, for now. We'll figure it out. Conspicuous consumption. Conspicuous overconsumption. What could be more American than what that? What could be more Christian than that? Absolutely. Uh, that's to look forward to this weekend. But um, we had a little event last weekend as well. Um, I wasn't able to make it on Sunday. How mm. how was the pizza party? Uh, well, you've had Devilcraft pizza before. You I know have, yes. it's great. It's extremely delicious. Uh, I will happily review Devilcraft pizza and tell you it's awesome. <laughs> the reviews are in. The reviews are it's in. It's great. It's great. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Jason from Devilcraft brought out three different pizzas. It was a nice selection. He bought out the, uh, it's kind of their meat-heavy pizza, their deluxe, the Devil Devil Works, I think it is, which is like vegetables and some meats. Uh, and then my favorite, which is the Eden, the the vegetarian pizza right. with feta cheese and olives oh, on yeah. it. It is a banging pizza. Uh, it was great. I mean, we had a lot of people in beforehand. Uh, the pizzas came out, and you got a free slice of Devilcraft pizza if you ordered the Oni Cohen Kelch, which is our collaboration with Devilcraft. Right. Good. Good beer, good pizza, good people. Uh, and good segue as well, because the beer that we are here to drink and review mm. this week mm. is the Oni Cohen Kelch. Am I right? I would like to back up just a little bit. It's not the Oni Cohen Kelch? It is the Oni Cohen Kelch. This is not... We don't review beer. I almost got away with it. I almost got away with it. I thought no, no, I would no, no, sneak no. it in there. I clocked it. You just kept talking for a long time. I didn't have a chance to get in there. Look, man, if you want to review beer, we can talk about changing the format of this show. But at this point, I feel like you're you're willfully making this mistake. I don't, you know, the first 18 times, I thought, hey, he's just forgotten. You've seen through my comedic premise. Yeah. Haven't you? Now I feel like you're doing it on purpose. The Oni Cohen Kelch is the beer that we are here to drink and not review, to celebrate Indeed. this week. Yeah. Uh, what kind of beer is it? Well, it's a Kelch. What do you want to? Okay. Well, what does that mean? What is a Kelch? Uh, you're going to have to help me out a little bit with this, but a Kelch, I believe, is a German-style uh, ale commonly brewed in summer. Right. Um, but it has some of the characteristics of a lager. Right. Correct. Uh, it's quite a, a nebulous style. I think Kelch just means beer from Cologne. Mm. That's what it means, beer from Kelm. But it's come to mean a beer which I think is brewed with ale yeast, mm. but at lager-like temperatures. Right. So you get a very kind of clean and light sure. finishing beer. Yeah. This one is like that. It's a very light, easy-drinking beer. It's also got a little hint of funk, a little touch of sourness mm. to it as well. Uh, from the yeast and maybe from the all New Zealand hops right. that we used. So it's a beer that we originally designed to be drunk at a summer festival. Yep. But it's extremely refreshing no matter what the time of year is. Indeed. Uh, we use New Zealand hops specifically uh, to, uh, you know, kind of spice it up a little bit and, and give it a little bit of uh, tropical fruit character. Yeah. It's already quite a, a light and crisp and refreshing beer, just the style on its own. Uh, and I think these hops really make 
the version that we made with Devilcraft, the Oniko and Kelsch, it really pops, I think. Real tropical twist. Mm. Well, uh, let's try the beer. Yeah, right. Well, what is there to say that we haven't already said about this beer? It's another one where the the nose matches the flavor as well. I think that what you right. smell in the glass, it delivers on the palate. And one thing that I notice about this beer that I, I really enjoy is that sometimes I think quite light beers like this and light styles like this can finish quite quickly. But this one seems to linger, I find. It leaves a little something on on your palate, on your tongue that just kind of hangs with you a little bit that I, I think you find more often in higher alcohol beers. Right. I quite enjoy it. I like, you can have a sip and you can savor it for a while because it doesn't just vanish on you. Right. And sometimes light beers, uh, light bodied beers have that tendency to disappear. Sometimes that's what you want. Uh, but I quite enjoy that this one has a bit of aftertaste that kind of stays with you for a little while. Yeah, it's it's certainly very characterful for its lightness, mm. isn't it? Um, it is a really nice beer to drink, maybe on a hot summer's day, uh, outside in the park, or at a summer festival or something like that. That's what we originally designed it for. But it's characterful enough, I think, that you can enjoy it in other settings as well. Mm. You can enjoy it sitting in a bar, for example, right. as we are doing While now. doing a podcast. Let's imagine that you were going to pair this beer with something though okay uh, and spin the wheel of pairings yeah uh, there are eight options here which are number one food or cuisine number mm-hmm. two tv or movies number three music number four video game number five location number six activity number seven drinking companion and number eight wild card mm. are you ready yep six again kind of feel like we get this one a lot might need to change my dice Activity. If you were doing something whilst drinking this Oni Cohen Kelsch, mm. what would that thing be? I would like to drink this while I'm going to say stand up paddle boarding. Okay. I've never done it before. Right. But I. So, what I, better way to learn than whilst absolutely blasted on the other So, there's a lot of things that I would like to do while drinking beer. And generally, when you try and go do those things, the people who organize them say, hey, you can't drink beer while doing this thing. Like, drive a semi trailer and operate heavy machinery. Take a driving test. Take a driving test. Uh, so, land an airplane. I'm a big fan of the water. I like swimming. I like, uh, you know, kayaking, canoeing, all that kind of stuff. Right. Surfing. I like to be in the ocean. This, you know, it, it seems kind of uh, like it's light and crisp and, and tropical. So it kind of suits that like sunny, nice weather being in the water. I've never been stand up paddle boating before, but it seems, you know, you, you stand up and you paddle the board. So why not uh, drink some beer while you're doing that? That sounds good to me. It That does sound good. My only concern is I think you need two hands to operate the paddle. So how are you drinking the beer? Camelback. Okay. You've got a straw. Yeah. Why not? I see you've thought this through. <laughs> are you going to have to finish the whole like four liters of beer then before you make it back to shore? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I haven't thought about it that much. You know, there there's a thing called... Uh, 
I don't know what they actually call it, but you do yoga on a paddleboard. Okay. Have you heard about this? Paddleboard yoga. Probably. Uh, so if you can do yoga on a paddleboard, I'm pretty sure you can figure out how to have a beer on a paddleboard. Can you have a beer whilst doing yoga on a paddleboard? Who wants to do that? I do. No, that sounds do. very relaxing. No, no, no. For my activity, I choose. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just want the regular paddling the board. Whilst uh, enjoying a delicious honey carriage. That's, uh, yeah, that's a good one. And I think that's something that you would do in a warm climate, right? You wouldn't want to be wearing a wetsuit. I'm not going to do it off the coast of Ireland. No, you wouldn't want to be freezing your toes off whilst you're on the paddleboard. And I'm also thinking that I would like to enjoy this beer somewhere warm um, whilst watching an amateur boxing match. Mm. I think that would be a really good combination. Perhaps there's some... uh, some ringside betting going on. Perhaps yeah. there are lots of people standing up and shouting and waving big sheafs of notes at each other, you, offering odds. You want Muay Thai in Thailand. Yes. Yes. That's right. That sounds great. Yeah. Whilst drinking this beer. I think that would be a really good match mm. because it would be very refreshing, very um, because of the, the, the sourness, the funkiness. It's also quite enlivening. It wakes you up. Yep. And I feel like watching the blood spray across the ring would be a, a perfect accompaniment mm. for this beer. And that got, I got dark. <laughs> no, it's uh, you know, it's pugilism. It's a, it's a noble art. Yeah, sure. We made this beer together with the guys at Devilcraft, mm. right? Um, who we know quite well. Yeah. Now, um, they actually founded uh, the company back in 2011, so it's 10 years old mm. now. Um, have you been to many of the Devilcraft locations? Uh, I remember going to the the Kanda location when it was the only location, uh, and it's it's quite small, right? It's on the footprint of the small, place is small. Tall. It's on it's still small, even the three floors together, mm. not not a lot of table space. I, I've been there a couple times and just not been able to get in because it was dinner time on a on a Saturday or whatever, and I hadn't made a uh, a reservation. But yeah, I've been there and I've been to the. What's the other one? Hamamatsucho. Been to that one. I've been to the Gotanda one. I haven't been to the Giogaoka one yet. Right. Excuse me. I haven't been to the Giogaoka one yet, and I'd like to go there because I I think they have a patio. Yes, that's what I heard. Yeah. That one was very popular during uh, the the shutdown. Yeah. Because you could sit outside there. As an American, I'm a big fan of patio drinking. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Um, beer bar or beer garden drinking. Yes. Very British as well. Mm. So Devilcraft was founded by three American guys. I think they're all American. I think so, yeah. John, Mike, and Jason. Uh, and I guess, in a way, we have had a sort of similar experience. Mm. So when they would have been first running the place, it would have been just the three of them, right? They were the ones pulling the pints and, mm. and running the place and trying to figure it out. And one of the... Not one of the biggest challenges, but one challenge that we've had um, since opening this place is just the language barrier. Sure. Isn't it? Um, How good would you say your Japanese was before we opened? Not very good, but it's probably still not very good. (laughs) Do you think so, or do you think it has improved a lot over the last 18 months? It's definitely gotten better, for sure. I, I don't know. It's... Uh, it's hard to evaluate your own level. But yeah, it's absolutely gotten better out of necessity. I think sometimes I see customers outside looking through the window, kind of hesitating mm. about coming in because they're worried, I'm going to go in there, but I'm going to have to speak English. Like, obviously, that's not a Japanese person behind the bar. 
what am I going to do? And you can you can almost sense their nervousness sure. through the window. How do you deal with people like that? In general, if I see that happening and I have the time, like I'm not dealing with someone inside the bar at that time, I will uh, run over there and throw open the door and start shouting at them in English, but yeah. real friendly, you know, yeah. like, hey, how's it going, you guys? What are you up to? You got to put an arm around the shoulder or start yeah. pumping their hand, yeah, yeah, yeah. do a nice handshake that, as like, well. When you come up and you fake punch someone yeah, in the yeah. stomach. Finger yeah. guns. They yeah, love yeah, finger yeah. guns in yeah. these situations. Uh, no, I, uh, I'll, I'll go and open the door and greet them in Japanese. And usually, I think just to break the ice, they will say, what kind of place is this? And I'll say, oh, it's craft beer. And, you know, we can have that conversation in Japanese. And it's enough for them to realize that I can at least do what I need to do in here. Right. Order a beer and, and, you know, understand what the system is. Ordering a beer in here is not going to be a traumatic sure. experience. It's not going to bring back awful memories of yeah. middle school and terrible English lessons. Right. But yeah, sometimes people are outside just curious what we are. Uh, and having a look because they're in the neighborhood and they haven't seen us before. But sure, other times people are outside fretting about whether or not they're going to be able to, you know, if they need to speak English in here. On the other hand, I think there are some customers who come here because they want to speak English, mm. right? It's almost an informal English conversation school. Absolutely. That we run at the bar sometimes. Uh, and that could be quite fun, can't it? Mm. We have a lot of really nice customers that come in uh, and it's been quite interesting to talk to them about their lives and, and what they're getting up to. And if you think about it, it's pretty good value. Uh, if you're trying to practice English, you can come in and, and buy a beer and have a chat at the bar for however long it takes you to drink that if you nurse it and um, be in here for an hour and, and get some good conversation in. As we are both recovering English teachers... We're also maybe a little bit out of practice, but we're, uh, we're familiar with things like grading your language and um, asking good questions sure. to people who are trying to, to practice a language. Absolutely. Well. I've even heard that um, some customers may listen to this podcast mm. in an attempt to, to improve their English. Yeah. So if that is you, welcome. I hope it's going okay so far. <laughs> we don't really grade our language on the podcast. No, we don't really. Uh, over the past 18 months, I would say I have learned quite a lot of new Japanese phrases mm. just from working in here and from, from dealing with um, the various sort of bureaucratic yeah. organizations yeah. that we have to deal with. Um, what would you say are some of the most useful phrases you have learned over the last 18 months of working in here? I think that uh, instead of specific useful phrases, I, I feel like I, I think I was worried in the beginning just about everything to do with Japanese. Uh, but in the end, you tend to come back to a, a lot of similar things when describing the beer um, and similar kind of structures when describing the beer and talking about, because that, that's, that's mostly what people want to know. That's when you're working here, that's kind of the, the main thing that you're required to talk about in Japanese is tell people what the beer is like. Right, yeah. Uh, so I think I was pretty worried about that. But... Um, we talked to one of our uh, a sales rep that we had for a while, and I talked to him about it because he had managed a bar before, and he was kind of it was before we opened, and he was like, "Oh, it's fine, it's super easy. You just say this and this, and blah blah blah." And I was like, still pretty worried about it, but uh, 
But yeah, learning different words for the beer, people still kind of say like, I'm looking for more kind of beer. And then I have to go and look up what Tsukiri means. Uh, but you add it to your repertoire, right? As you look it up, you have it for next time and someone comes in and asks the same thing. Um, so I, I think that's the big one that comes up the most often, at least behind the bar. Describing the beers. Sure. People asking questions helping about the people, in the fridge yeah, and stuff. Helping people to make their choices. I think it's quite a good language learning environment for us, though, right? Because it's obviously it's a topic that we're both interested in. Mm. Um, and it's something that we can talk about and want to talk about in our own native language. But then you're always you're always encountering new questions and reinforcing old questions about what the beer is like and uh, what different kinds of beer we have and, uh, and describing the different beers that, that we have mm. to customers. So I think it's been really helpful for, uh, for just developing the language skills over the last 18 months. Absolutely. If you are struggling to learn Japanese, might I suggest opening a craft beer bar? It's just that easy. It is. Uh, it, it really couldn't be any easier. You've had uh, the biggest challenge, though. Your Japanese is much more advanced than mine, but because of that, you have been the guy that has to handle all of the Japanese bureaucracy stuff. Uh, we have we have employed some muscle to help with that more recently now that we have some money with which to do that. But especially early on, we were trying to get this place open on a pretty tight budget, and we weren't able to hire people. So you were the guy going to the city offices and the tax offices and, and talking to everybody, uh, that must have been, at the very least, a vocabulary shock for you to deal with topics that probably had not come up for you in your Japanese studies prior to that time. Uh, most certainly they had not come up. So that's why before every meeting I had to kind of sit down for a half an hour or an hour and think about what are some of the words or phrases that are probably going to come up in this meeting. Mm. Do I know how to say everything that I want to say yeah. before I go in here? And let me just look all these up and write them all down and practice saying them a bit. And then we'd have the meeting. And during the meeting, I would be making a note of all the words that they used that I didn't recognize. Right. Okay, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to nod and pretend like I understand mm. what you're saying. Yeah. And then after the meeting, I'm going to go and look this up. Right. And then next time, I might be in big trouble because I've agreed to something <laughs> that I didn't fully understand. That's good because if you're writing it down, it looks like you're taking a note. Yes, which you are. Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking very serious is, about yeah. nodding and I'm writing this down. No idea what this word is. I don't is. know what you're talking yeah. about and I'm going to have to look this up later. Uh, but yeah, it was, a, it was a good way of sort of stretching my fairly limited Japanese and uh, taking it into some words and phrases that I had absolutely no experience mm. with. So maybe one of the most useful phrases that I picked up was yoke no mitasu, meet a requirement, okay. which uh, came up a lot. Right. And that was one that I had to look up early on and that I found myself using a lot. Right. Sometimes happens in English as well. Do you ever learn a new word in English and then you encounter it a lot after that? It does seem that way, sure. You come across something in a book and then... It's almost like it's been unlocked in the world. Yeah, I think that's kind of what happens because you, you then start noticing it all mm. around you. And there were lots of times when I would pick up maybe a new way of saying something or a new piece of vocabulary and then just notice that all mm. over the place. Sure. Hey, it turns out that everyone else knows this except me. Right. Uh, and that's why, I'm, uh, <laughs> that's why I'm only learning it now. Uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been a challenge, but it's been an enjoyable one, Yeah, I think, so far. 
We were on uh, another podcast quite a while ago now, and that podcast asked us if we felt that you needed to speak Japanese to start a business in Japan like we were doing. And the answer was resoundingly yes. You Either you need to speak it or you need someone on your team who can speak it or someone available to you, either right. a service you're paying or something. But uh, there is minimal Minimal is being generous, but minimal support, not in Japanese, for any of the kind of bureaucratic things that you need to do. I would say none. Like, you maybe you're lucky that in your city office or your tax office someone speaks English, but I think it's pretty unlikely. And it's, I'm, I'm not sure how you could do this without having a Japanese speaker as part of your team. It's possible that there might be somebody at the tax office or at the legal affairs office who can speak English and who will be able to help you just speaking to you. But in principle, all of the documents that you submit to Japanese bureaucracy have to be in Japanese mm. uh, with no exceptions. Uh, and actually, just this week, I submitted um, some a whole sheaf of documents to um, some local bureaucrats, and one of them was a set of technical specifications for some of the brewing equipment that we're planning right. to buy. Uh, and they have got back to me and said, hey, please, can you translate this for us? Because we can't understand what any of this mm. says. It's in English. And I kind of want to say, well, even if I do translate it, you're not going to be able to understand <laughs> what any of it says, because it's quite technical information about right. sort of the, the angle that this uh, fermentation cone mm. is at or how many steps the heat spunding exchanger takes. valves. Yeah, let, let me just translate spunding valve into Japanese <laughs> for you, okay? Is it clear now? <laughs> um, but in principle, everything has to be uh, in Japanese mm. that you are submitting. So mm. at the very least, you're going to have to have um, somebody who you hire who is able to prepare mm. documents. And there are plenty of services, Japanese. you know, up all the way up to... They will do all the legwork in sure. person. They will yeah. go to the offices. But, uh, you know, that you're talking thousands and thousands of dollars, depending on the level of support that you need. As much as you're willing to pay for. Certainly. the level of service that you're able to get. Mm. Now, this week, again, we've been lucky enough to get some excellent questions from some of our listeners. I want to start with this one from Colin in Hino, who mm. writes, Is there a place for warm beer or should all beer be served ice cold? Your answer, please. It's a, it's a false dichotomy. Right. By which, what do you mean by that? Well, perhaps it's Colin cold. doesn't understand this, but temperature is a range. <laughs> there are only two options. Yeah. <laughs> it's either boiling hot or freezing cold. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a bit interesting because we, you mentioned this uh, last week when we had our review of Beery. Um, our, there, there is a, a temperature at which you, it's uh, generally believed to be the right temperature to serve craft beer. Uh, and if you really want to get, to get into the nitty-gritty, uh, different types of beer might be served at different temperatures. But in general, we want to serve our beer a little bit uh, warmer than people might have their fridges at home by a couple of degrees. So... Uh, we're already dealing with a different temperature. We, you suggested maybe that the beery would have been better uh, a couple de degrees colder. Ice cold. Because you wouldn't be able to taste it. <laughs> yes, it would have no taste and no smell. Uh, and maybe that, that was their intention, that people are going to drink this straight from their fridge at home and it's going to be much colder uh, and it might perform better under those kind of circumstances. 
So uh, already the beer, you know, we've already got kind of two different temperature points, ice cold uh, and what we're serving our beer at, which is a couple degrees warmer than that. Um, Colin is from Scotland, I believe. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So the question is, is there a place for warm beer? So when he and says say, warm yes, there beer, is, that place is Scotland right. because it's absolutely <laughs> freezing cold there. The beer has to be warm. Right. When you say warm beer, you don't mean warm. Do you mean room temperature? I've, you know, I hear this phrase and um, one of the sort of stereotypes of traditional cask ale in Britain is that it is warm beer. That's mm. what a lot of Europeans might say right. about it. But it's not hot. It's not like a cup of tea right. or something. Mold it's wine. served similar to how you would serve red wine. Like it's a few degrees right. below room temperature. Mm. And that's because that's the correct temperature to enjoy that drink at. Right. right? If you serve it freezing cold, you're just wasting it. You yeah. wouldn't be able to taste sort of all the subtle sure. malty flavors. Which is beer. why our beer is not ice cold. Exactly. Yeah. You want to be able to taste the beer mm. that, you're, that you're paying for. Um, so I think in, to answer your question, Colin, it really does depend on the beer. Some mm. beer, like Asahi Super Dry, should be served as cold as possible. That's, so you taste nothing. So you taste as little as possible. But that's how it's intended to be drunk. That's mm. how what people want when they order a a big jockey of Asahi Super Dry and an Izakaya, they're expecting it to come to them absolutely freezing cold. Do you know they have uh, Asahi Super Dry extra cold now? Wow. Have you seen this? Is it like liquid nitrogen? You know, I'm not sure. I actually ordered it at uh, at my favorite sushi place just because that was what they had, and I, I didn't notice. Much. Was it even colder? In hindsight, I really should have ordered two right a regular one and an extra cold and had them side by side could have raced them yeah. yeah i screwed that up i'm sorry um but if you were drinking uh, a nice glass of wine you would want it served at the appropriate temperature yeah. uh, and the same thing goes for beer some beers like cascales are served slightly on the warmer side mm-hmm. about nine or ten degrees mm. craft beer tends to be served at about six or seven uh and then pilsners asahi tripodize um you know, your, your Kirin Ichiban Shibari, that's served really, really mm. cold because that's how it's designed to right. be served. I read a thing quite a while ago, and I'm not sure how true this is or not, but it stuck with me. And it basically suggested that uh, they were talking about red wine and saying red wine should be served at room temperature. But the, the idea put forward was that when that term room temperature was coined as a reference to the correct serving temperature of wine, it was kind of pre- insulation in houses like pre-window kind of time okay that room temperature was a few degrees colder than what we think it is right now right and so you actually do want to serve red wine not chilled but cool and not not what we might consider room temperature today below modern room temperatures yeah so the the you know the temperature that we accept as room temperature would have changed over time and it's quite a bit warmer today than it than it used to be. So, the idea of wine being served at room temperature, you really need to specify degrees. Right. Mm. Let's not just go away with the generality that it should be at room temperature. Yeah. It should be at this specific room yeah, temperature. Yeah, sure. More accurate. I think a room temperature in Scotland is quite different from a room temperature in, say, Florida. As well. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are two very different rooms. Indeed. Good question, though. Thank you, Colin. Mm. We have one more question uh, from Waridin Wakamatsu, who writes, because there's no branch of Sakamichi Brewing here, or there, rather, I've been drinking Citra Hop Session IPA from Costco. 
and I've been enjoying it. Is there something wrong with me? I mean, there's no way for us to answer that question, to be honest. But let's talk about Citra Hop Session IPA. One of the keys to Costco's success yes. has been that when they uh, introduced the Kirkland brand of products, um, they made really good quality products. And in a lot of cases, they teamed up with uh, some other quality manufacturer in that field to produce a line of products with the Kirkland name on them. So Costco's big competitor in America was called Sam's Club. And Sam's Club kind of fell by the wayside because the Sam's Club, part of the reason, not the only reason, but one of the reasons was that the Sam's Club line of products was garbage. Like it was meant to be the super generic, you know, the one that you didn't buy. The Tesco Lone brand. Sure, but but it had the name of the store on it. It's a little bit silly, right? I think it drags down the, the feeling of the whole place. But Costco uh, recognized that having the Kirkland brand products be actually good products and a good value made a lot of sense for them. So they either just made good products on their own or they teamed up with a manufacturer to make good products of whatever it was, whatever product line they were trying to come out with. So I haven't had the, uh, like, I, I don't know if this is a Kirkland brand beer. Uh, I'm not entirely sure who's making it or where it's coming from. So I can't speak to that one specifically, but Costco's uh, approach to their own name brand products in general has been very sound. And some of the things that they sell with the Kirkland name on them are absolutely excellent, especially when they team up with, uh, like, a, a, you know, a very good whiskey distillery or something like that. It might be a bottle of whiskey with the Kirkland name on it, but it could be very, very good whiskey inside the bottle. I haven't been to a Costco for many, many years, so I can't really attest to the quality of any of their products. But I do occasionally buy the 500 yen bottle of Chardonnay from Seiyu. Mm-hmm. Um, 500 yen is a very low price to pay for a bottle of wine. Certainly. But that Chardonnay is actually pretty mm. good. Yep. That you stick it in the fridge have a glass when you're cooking some dinner, tastes good. Mm. And you're definitely getting value for money there. Sure. So I don't know specifically about this beer, but I would say that just because something is cheap and available doesn't mean that the quality isn't there. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think Costco has, at least for a lot of products, has really tried to make sure that their offerings are like match up with other good stuff on the market. I know that I'm not sure if this was just a Kanto thing, but for a while, Costco had uh, Baird mix packs. Yes, they do. They do sometimes have Baird beer. Um, So that's excellent quality beer. Definitely. I guess that speaks very highly to the quality of beer that that Costco stock. Mm. Thank you very much for the question, Mm. Rode and Wakamatsu. If you're enjoying it, then there's nothing wrong with you, I would say. Enjoy what you enjoy. Absolutely. I mean, nothing wrong with you. Regarding enjoying this beer. Yes, we don't know anything about you. so There, there could, could be, be lots wrong with you. There could be all number of things yeah. wrong with you. Uh, you should probably get that rash checked out yeah. as well. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions. Uh, if you do have anything you want to ask us, we're always ready to, uh, to interact on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Send us a message and we will try to answer your questions. To twist things around a bit, do you have any questions you would like to ask our listeners? Uh, that's incredible. I do have a question for our listeners. Uh, it's something that we have talked a, a little bit about amongst ourselves. 
we have a lot of kegs. We've been buying a lot of secondhand kegs when we can get our hands on them. And uh, we need to label them as Sakamichi in some way. We've talked about a few different things. And, and basically, we want it to be uh, something that's not going to rub off if we if we transport it somewhere, right? It needs to still say Sakamichi. So if another brewery has it, they can see where to return it to. But also, we might sell these kegs on in the future as well, uh, much as they've been sold on to us. So we need it to be removable in some way. You talked about maybe getting some branded tape made up, which is one idea, but it does require us to buy a lot of branded tapes. It's, it's unbelievable, actually. Um, I, w- I got a quote from a company, and they wanted us to buy 500 rolls at 450 yen a piece. And I wrote back to say, that is a lot more tape than we need. <laughs> That would take us years to yeah. get through. We don't need that much tape. Can I have like 10 rolls? Yeah. That's not something they do, apparently. Wow. So tape is one option. Uh, we need to buy a lot of it. We talked about uh, paint, but then how do you get it off? So is there a kind of paint that would stay on enough for our purposes, but be removable in the future? Right. I'm curious if our listeners have any kind of clever suggestions on how we can uh, mark these kegs in a way that would stay on them, but also be removable in the future. Right. So the two ideas that we have are either some kind of tape, branded tape, or using a stencil to to apply our logo with some paint mm. that we could scrub off potentially yeah. in the future. There might be a third clever way that we haven't yeah. thought of yet. There might be a good paint that we could use that is waterproof but easily removable Mm. in other ways there might be a tape supplier that doesn't require us to buy 500 rolls if you own a tape company and you're listening to this get in touch with us if you do small batches we want to hear from you uh yeah so uh please let us know if you have any good ideas this saturday is our halloween party as we mentioned at the beginning of the Mm. episode that's going to kick off at 12 you're going to be in costume yeah i'm Gonna be in costume. You better be. And uh, we're gonna have some pumpkin beers. We're gonna have Halloween sweets. We're gonna have a banging Halloween soundtrack. It's gonna be a good time. So come along if you're in the area. Absolutely. Do we have anything else fun coming up? Uh, I think that's about it. You know, we're gonna push on through the year. All lots of good beer coming yes. up as well. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Happy beer drinking.